Coal to crypto. Great article here on Kentucky's activities. Now, not the state, but a couple of entrepreneurs there. I really appreciate what they're doing. There's this gentleman, Warren Rogers, a former venture capitalist, and he's overseeing a bunch of repurposing of abandoned coal processing plants in the state of Kentucky. These guys are putting in 12-hour shifts in the winter, retrofitting these old sites to power new Bitcoin mining operations. So all of these old abandoned coal outfits, they've been deprecated and just kind of sitting there. So all of the space, and it's a great article about using, I think, old infrastructure that's now ancient and not used at all to do something new here. And one of these sites is expected to print three Bitcoin per day, which is over a hundred grand roughly. It's kind of crazy, by the way, just to say that out loud, thinking only three Bitcoin all this effort just to make three Bitcoin a day. Like it's, it's a ton of energy. So they get into it and they, one of the criticisms of this article, or one of the things they talk about is all of the CO2. So the, it's estimated that Kentucky produces more CO2 from crypto mining than any other state in the U.S., estimated to be equivalent to around 650,000 passenger vehicles, which is stunning they are seeing a growth in renewables somewhat, and we should expect that to, to continue that transition on the energy side to, to continue a bit. But there's more I want to talk about on this. I, I want to pause for a second and get your read on the situation here. Well, like you said, I, I like the fact that they're, they're repurposing mines that were not in use. I mean, you're, you're generating nothing with those mines, right? They're taking up space. You're not creating jobs. You're not creating any sort of um, value to the economy. So, so might as well repurpose them for something that you could possibly generate income from. And I think mining Bitcoin is actually a great way to go. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, states out there who are, who rely on mining or rely on, you know, coal mining, stuff like that are looking for new jobs. It's, it's becoming more and more apparent that, we're going to have to move away from, you know, fossil fuels and coal eventually. I don't think it's going to happen anytime, you know, in the next couple of years, but eventually it's going to have to happen. So these places who rely on these fossil fuel mining need to find new ways, new industries, new revenue streams, um, so they can create jobs for their people as we kind of move away from using, you know, mining these uh, coal and whatnot. And uh, I think this is a good start. Um, three Bitcoin a day sure does sound good. My question is, how many jobs can you create with these type of mines? Because I highly doubt they'll be able to employ as many people as you'd see in like an actual coal mine. Yep, yep. So they actually talk about this in the article. And it, so some statistics, coal jobs have shrunk in the state to under 4,000 miners compared to a peak of more than 50,000 in the 1970s. Oh, wow. Wow. And this operation in the town of Belfry will provide only between five and 10 full-time jobs paying around 23 bucks an hour, which notably is three times the minimum wage. So these Bitcoin operations, they only need around 12 people to stand guard and maintain the machines versus a coal mine, which requires thousands of people. Okay. Yeah. And that, that kind of makes sense to me because I was trying to figure out how do you create as, as many jobs that actually are providing value as a, as someone in an actual coal mine, or I guess a coal mine would provide to workers. 
a big, you know, these Bitcoin mines are self-sufficient to an extent. They obviously need new maintenance. Um, they need people watching over certain things like the servers and, and the equipment that are running the proof of work. But overall, it's, it's not something that's going to require a ton of manpower like you'd see in, in a typical, you know, mining operation for minerals or fossil fuels. So it's going to be interesting to see how they can u- utilize that this opportunity while still making sure that the people of the state are, are seeing the benefit. And it's going to have to come in a way where they're distributing a lot of these earnings um, or, or the state's going to have to come down with some sort of regulation where they can get their piece of the pie. Because if all these Bitcoin mines are regulated or sorry, are owned by private investors or, you know, just individuals, it, it may do some good for the state in, in terms of tax revenue, but I don't think you're really going to improve the living conditions of, you know, the greater community. Yeah. And this is one thing they talk about as well is that the, a lot of these areas don't even have broadband internet access for residents. And these residents, they're driving one to two hours just to find work in some of these different locations. So the argument is from Bitcoiners, people saying, can you get these jobs and repurpose this old infrastructure that's totally useless now to resurrect some of the activity? Because Kentucky there's the statistic that 38 counties in the state are economically distressed or or in the bottom 10% of U.S. counties in economic performance. So they're a, a state that's plagued with real economic problems. And is this the silver bullet? Probably not, but it's, it's something. We have uh, Joshua calling in. I want to give him a chance to chime in since we're running pretty well on time. Hey, Joshua. Good morning. Um, so I've been working on this stuff in my head for years now. Um, the reality is for Kentucky or any other state, if they want to do stuff above ground to save and generate electricity for what they do below ground that creates high paying jobs and potentially gets us to a future that makes sense without killing the planet, that's mm-hmm. fucking fantastic. Um, they should probably look at hemp above ground as well as solar energy as opposed to any other type of I don't know, extractive industry that continues to rape us is my opinion. And if we want to do crypto mm-hmm. and it's going to take all this energy, those are the transitions we're going to have to make, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. And and that's kind of the the weird conundrum here is, is that you're trying to replace this fossil fuel industry by bringing in something that's also going to be using a ton of energy. Um, so you're not really fixing that issue when it comes to, I guess, like the overall impact on the planet but from an economic standpoint um at least it's driving some additional income into the state and into the pockets of you know the the people who live in the state but i agree it's they're gonna have to find other ways outside of stuff like just bitcoin mining even though like we're talking about it's something above ground they can do to create money or create value for the economy but it's not going to be enough especially for how much power it's drawing unless we see some sort of parabolic increase in bitcoin or we see get to you know these levels that we haven't seen yet. I don't know if it's going to be able to sustain an entire economy or in in these small cities or in these you know areas in, in Kentucky that are kind of riddled with poverty. Yeah, yeah. And they talk in this article. First of all, Joshua, thanks for chiming in. And I think the uh, the article talks about a little bit of solar that's trying to come up in the state. And then they also talk to a co-owner of a waste to energy plant. So they're just some facility that's come up. They're going to be burning garbage to convert it into energy, which it's something, but there's people 
that they also interviewed who actually live around there who were plagued by coal slurry spills and the groundwater has been tainted. So they've, they've heard all of the great things from private industries only to get screwed on the natural resource side of things and burning garbage to create electricity isn't, isn't really, I, I don't view that as a modern way forward either. So the transition to solar and hemp and everything else uh, could not agree more. And I mean, nuclear is always an uh, option that we could try to reinvest in as well. So great topic. I want to pivot to uh, crypto chem. You had another article that we can get to since we're cruising through time. Yeah. So mine is, is kind of similar in the sense it's, it's about how blockchain can kind of be used to modernize some of the, the things we're doing uh, today. So this one, this article was about uh, how blockchain is being used to improve Ghana's cocoa supply chain <clears throat> and ensure that their farmers are actually getting paid. Um, I know it's a pretty big problem in, in a lot of these industries in these impoverished com- countries where the farmers and workers don't really have a lot of leverage or a lot of power to go after, you know, lost wages or to even know that they're being paid fairly. So this this kind of implementation of what um, they're called COA, and it's a it's a it's basically a startup who launched a blockchain based program that's going to improve the transparency into the supply chain, and and it's hopefully like I said going to help them track to see whether the farmers are actually being paid or not. Um, and it's supported by partnerships with a German supply company called Seed Phrase and a South African telecom company called MTN Group. Um, and so. <clears throat> As I, was, as I was talking about, many corporations have obviously been accused of not paying their farmers or paying them a rate below what they consider like a living wage. And so what they're hoping is that, you know, introducing these blockchains will add a little bit of accountability um, by making it publicly public, you know, what you're paying your farmers, if you're paying them on time, um, and should eliminate some of these practices where they try to kind of wage gouge these these people who are in nations that aren't, you know, as, as well off as others. Um and the main the main thing they're working on is seed phrase is providing the platform for the supply chain infrastructure so this will utilize you know the blockchain to record data about the production distribution um it'll let the farmers know where their products are in the supply chain um and then also help consumers kind of track you know where each ingredient came from and make sure that their their food or, or whatever they're buying is you know coming from where they thought it was and was paid for properly and that the people who are producing it were uh, compensated appropriately. Um, so I don't know if you had a time to look through this, but I just wanted to get your, yeah. your view on this and what you thought. Yeah, totally. So the supply chain tracking use case for blockchain is well known and has been well discussed. I think I was encouraged by this read and it reminded me of something that the helium team blogged about earlier this month, which we're, writing up a summary about that for our newsletter, which will drop on Sunday. And the the bullet points I'll highlight from, from that project, it's around supply chain visibility using IoT sensors and blockchain, blockchain traceability, which this company, Nibia, in India, helping tea farmers get more revenue for their product. So it's not only about better outcomes for the consumer, but it's actually helping the farmers and the producers squeeze more money, squeeze more revenue out of the stuff that they're already doing and making their operations more efficient. 
Yep. So by using helium sensors, you can have environmental data, agricultural data around irrigation and all the different processes and fertilizer levels, all of that to help improve operations. So really it goes beyond just tracking in a ledger that can't be tampered with the ability to do this kind of data analysis with unique blockchain technology is, is much more than that. And I think that gets lost a lot in these articles. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's not just a means of recording what has happened. Um, although it does do that and it makes this immutable kind of trail of you know history, but it also provides you with a ton of data that these companies can use and a ton of ways to, you know, perform animal analytics to see how they can better, you know, improve their supply chain or make their operations more efficient. And these are becoming a lot more common. Um, so Co is not the only company that's, you know, adopted these supply chain uh, type tracking. Like you mentioned, Helium is another company. Um, I know they've worked with farmers and uh, shipping companies or freight companies to help with tracking. Um, and then I also know recently, I think it was Walmart Canada uh, had dropped something called, well, they're calling it their distributed ledger technology and they call it DLT Labs. And, and essentially it's a supply chain network built on their own private blockchain. Um, and they've been using that since March of 2021, I think. Uh, and then I, I think I saw Origin Trails, another one that's pretty popular. And they do a very similar type of, you know, supply chain optimization and tracking through the blockchain. So these companies are popping up quite a bit um, because I think a lot of the, the private companies are seeing the value in this. I saw something in the Harvard Business Review that said that um, DLT freight, which is what um, Walmart was using, they basically saw their rate of invoice disputes decrease from 70% to 1% once the network was launched, which is an incredible improvement, but just kind of shows the power of, of this you know, distributed ledger technology and blockchains and being able to have a, a single source of information that you know you can rely on rather than having all these different parties trying to communicate and agree on something, which almost always leads to a dispute of some sort. Yeah, invoice disputes are so, I mean, they're they're plaguing every industry on the planet. If you have suppliers and you're, you're paying them different things on different terms and, and the quality of the product you receive, I mean, I do some work in biotech and this, this happens somewhat more frequently than I would like to admit. But that statistic really blew me away that they were able to reduce invoice disputes to less than 1% from a 70% benchmark beforehand. It was, that's incredible. And so, I mean, that, that just testifies to that simple use case of like a tracking, a ledger, a trackable ledger. Right. It, it doesn't even really scratch the surface into some of this other stuff where you can do sensor readings and yeah. really, really interesting things. So just, yeah, it just shows kind of how, the human error in things can can really have a significant impact on your operations. Um, and that's where the value is in these blockchain and distributed ledgers is you, you get that efficiency back by not relying on someone who can potentially mess it up, but relying on one source of information that everyone can confirm and they're seeing the same thing. So no doubt, no doubt. Well, Hey, this has been a great little morning session. Have a excellent Friday. And a great weekend as well. We'll be back next Monday for more Daybreak Crypto. All right. Sounds good. And thanks for calling in, everybody. And thanks for listening.